reading this afternoon is from Matthew eleven twenty-five to 30. This is what Holy Scripture says. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. May God bless the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. My name is Matt Trexler. Um, I am the campus minister with Reformed University Fellowship at UCLA. This is my second time getting to speak here at this beautiful church uh, with all of you God's saints. And I'm thankful for you. Um, I really only have one major goal for you this afternoon. That's it. And I want us to see the basics of the gospel, to go back to the basics. Do you know who Roy McElroy is? He's the Irish golfer. He's won like four PGA championships. This article went around a few years back about how every summer, Roy McElroy will go back to his coach that he had when he was eight years old, Michael Bannon, and he will say to him, hey, teach me the basics again. Show me how to hold the golf club, the right grip. Show me the right, correct my swing. Show me the basics again. And I think we need that even in the gospel. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 80 years or 8 minutes. We need the basics. Uh, my, one of my former pastors, Sinclair Ferguson, said, You do not need to know newer, deeper things. You need a deeper grasp of the basic things. But he said it, of course, in his wicked, cool Scottish accent. Well, you know, you don't need to know newer, deeper things. You need a deeper grasp of the basic things. Um, which means it sounds so much better than what I just said. Um, but that's okay. Um, I'm from South Carolina. He's from Scotland, so he sounds better. But regardless, we need the power of the Holy Spirit if we're going to see this. And so let's pray before we begin. Dear Heavenly Father, you love this church. Jesus, you love this church. It is your bride. You lay down your life for it. And so... Though this microphone helps people to hear my voice, it does not help people to hear your voice, and we need your spirit. Lord, I pray that your word will be like a polished arrow and that you will pierce our hearts, that we may see Christ. I pray that I disappear. And Father, I pray that you make much of your son, and it is him that we see, and him that we treasure, and him that we worship as we go out here into our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Who is the greatest person you've ever met? Who's the greatest person you've ever met? You know, I've been in L.A. for now three years, going into my fourth year. And when I first moved here, I really wanted to see a celebrity, right? Because I moved to L.A., I was near, you know, Santa Monica, whatever, Bel Air, Brentwood. And, and it took me two years. Like, I never saw one. My students would. they say, oh, Kanye West is at the local Denny's in Westwood, because he does that. Or, you know, it's like Christian Bale just came out of the In-N-Out, you know, restroom in like a three-piece suit. And like, why, why didn't I see it? You know? <laughs> And then finally, y'all, 2017, this is one Sunday afternoon, I'm walking down Wilshire, which is what I do, and I'm walking down Wilshire, and I hit the mother load. Okay, I kid you not. Justin Timberlake, Kate Winslet, and Jim Belushi. You cannot make that up. 
they were coming out of a private screening of Wonder Wheel, which was a movie they were all in together. I found that out. Um, and I just, like, they're coming down the sidewalk. And I, like, I, like, freeze up. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? This is my chance, right? Like, do I, do I like, pull out my phone and get, like, a selfie with all three of them and throw it up on Instagram and be like, look, Mom, I made friends in L.A., right? And get, like, tens of likes. Or uh, I was like, no, that's, that's too touristy. I don't want to do that. Here's what I'll do. I'll just say something funny, right? So that when JT, Justin Timberlake, walks by, he'll be like, I don't know that guy. And he's not famous, but that was pretty cool and funny what he said. I'd hang out with him. I was like, yes, that's what I'm going for. And as they're getting closer, I'm like, oh, gosh, what do I say? I don't know what I'm going to say. What can I say that will make him notice me? And I'm like, all I had in my mind at that moment, when you're nervous, all I could think of was Justin Timberlake in the 1990s, with Britney Spears in that all-denim outfit they were at in like the MTV Music Awards or whatever. And I'm like, get out of my head, get out of my head, get out of my head. It's all I could think. And he walks by, and I'm like, I love you, New York, Britney Spears. And I just yelled it at him. And he just like walks by and goes, what? And then just keeps going. And I just shrink back into shame. And uh, it was like middle school, but a hundred times worse as they just kind of walked by. And uh, I never, I promised myself I would never speak to another celebrity again. As a commoner. And 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 the reason I say that is because I've realized something about myself. That in the presence of greatness, I have no idea what I'm supposed to say. And when I read the Gospels, I get a similar anxiety. Similar nervousness. Because Jesus is really saying, not only in this passage, but throughout all the Gospels, he's saying, I'm the greatest person that you will ever encounter. And if I'm really honest with you, that makes me nervous. Because what do I say to him if he approaches me? Think about the people who approached Jesus. The rich young ruler, the Canaanite woman, the Roman centurion. They each got a different response. You never know what Jesus is going to say. And that makes me nervous. right? Isn't it Mrs. Beaver from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe who said, Anyone can go to Aslan without their knees knocking is either foolish or braver than most. To go in front of Jesus, what would he say? Which I think raises a very real question. How do I know that I'm even welcome to approach Jesus? How do I really know that I can trust him? I want to explore this passage through the lens of meeting and knowing Jesus. How does he want us to come to him? What does he want us to know about him? How does he want us to relate to him? I'll do this in three ways. I'm going to look at the qualification, the revelation, and the invitation. The qualification, the revelation, and the invitation. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Sometimes, as a campus minister, I get really frustrated in ministry, right? Like, students aren't getting it. They're not understanding the impeccable logic that's coming out of my mouth, right? They're not listening to it. Or maybe they're making up lame excuses for why they're not going to go to the guy's Bible study. Oh, dude, you know, I had so much at the dining hall tonight. I need, like, all night to digest. I don't think I can make it. You know, you're just like, this. I should probably learn from this, but this really makes me... And I'm just like, what do I do with this, you know? Um, And... I'm not Jesus by any means, and I'm sinful. But, you know, I think in some ways Jesus can relate to ministry frustration, right? I heard one person say he 
spent his three years with 12 guys, none of whom got his illustrations, the one who wanted to kill him. And uh, I think Jesus, and even in this passage, is in some ways righteously frustrated with the lack of response to his own teaching. But instead of that leading to cynicism or blame, he praises the Father. He says, such was your gracious will. You've hidden it from them, but you have given it to little children. You've hidden it from the wise, and you've given it to little children. You know, I'm always surprised by the people that come to get it. The people that get the gospel. I, get, I, I had a student, a guy, who for two years came to every RUF large group, either high or drunk, every week, every week. And I was like, well, at least he comes. Um, but he's, not, he's probably not getting that much out of the ministry. But I love this guy. I'll spend time with them. And then a few months ago, right before he graduates, he says, hey, thank you. I really do believe that Jesus loves me. You can just see it in his eyes. He got it. And I think we rejoice in stories like that. And I rejoice in stories like that because Jesus rejoices in stories like that. Thank you, Father, for such was your gracious will. But I do think this says something about how Jesus wants us to approach him. So you would think that to follow Jesus, you have to be rich in spirit. You've got to be victorious in spirit, right? Like the, what Joel Osteen and Oprah say, the victorious spirit. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who feel spiritually inadequate. Blessed are those who fail and feel their failure. Blessed are those from whom righteousness and justice are painfully missing from their lives. Not the Beatitudes, the first four. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. You don't hunger and thirst after something you have. They realize something about themselves. I don't have that righteousness and I long for it. I thirst and I hunger for it. Jesus says, blessed are you, they will be satisfied. One commentator said, it is the dispirited who live before God, but it is the marvelously spiritual who often expire from God's presence. I'm always worried by the end of the Sermon on the Mount when these people come to Jesus and they're like, didn't we do great things in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we, didn't we preach great sermons in your name, Lord? And what does he say? I, I never knew you. It, it scares me. You know, it's always fascinating. Jesus rarely uses the word great in the Gospels, but when he does, it always turns it on its head. You know, it's, it's those who are the servant of all. It's the children. And one of the few times that the word great shows up in the Sermon on the Mount is at the very end. It's one of the last words in the entire Sermon on the Mount is the word great. Do you know what it is? And the man built his house on sand, and great was the fall of it. Jesus' entire ministry is a war on greatness as we understand it. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the little people of the earth. St. Augustine said it is God's wonderful purpose that he prefers to choose his people from the humble masses rather than from the leaders who might adorn Christ's name with their excellence. But here's the problem. I want to be great. Right? Like, not like, not like obviously great. Not like, you know, like I'd love to be like, have like a mega church and like fly around on special jets and have like sparkling white teeth and be like a best-selling author. That's too obvious, right? I don't want that kind of great. I just want everyone in my small, respectable circles to think I'm awesome all the time. That's all I want. Jesus, if you could give me that, that would be amazing. That's the kind of great I want. 
And if I'm particularly honest, I've had to question, you know, someone asked me, like, what makes a great day versus a bad day as a campus minister? A great day. Let me tell you about a great day that did not happen. It's fantasy. But I'm, in my mind, this would be ideal campus minister Matt Trexler day, okay? Ideal campus minister fantasy Matt Trexler wakes up at 6 a.m. without an alarm clock because he's just so refreshed, right? <laughs> And I wake up with a smile, because y'all, this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice, right? And I get up, make my protein shake, read all of Psalm 119, thanking God for the glories of his law, and then I go to LA Fitness for two hours, have an incredible intense workout, feeling awesome, I walk to campus, because I don't need to drive and add to my carbon footprint, right? And I walk to campus, and there's just a group of random students who I've never seen before. You know, and they're not Christians, and I just strike up a conversation with them, like, on the spot. Y'all, within five minutes, they're all converted, okay? (laughs) And by the time we get to the center of campus, we're all singing, Jesus paid it all. And I'm just, like, high-fiving them, and they're like, we'll see you at RUF tonight, and we're bringing all our friends. And I'm like, yes, right? And then, because I counsel students on campus, I meet with all these students, you know, back-to-back, one hour at a time. And y'all, hour by hour, I'm just changing lives, right? (laughs) People are just setting up their problems, and I'm knocking them down. My incredible wisdom, just spiritually snapping necks and cashing checks, right? Like, it is, it's awesome. And then that night at RUF, everyone who's ever been a part of our ministry and all of their friends show up, and everything fires on all cylinders, and it's great. It's great. Unfortunately, Jesus and I do not share the same vision for what a great day is, Um, and I get inwardly frustrated when some of those things, or many of the things, or all of those things don't happen. Um, And maybe Jesus would say that actually what greatness is in his eyes is loving the one person that no one noticed. The awkward student who Jesus knows their name. And I have to take comfort in the fact that more willing than, more more than I would want to say, my failures are publicly exposed and my own spiritual weaknesses, and I have to take comfort in the fact that Jesus knew he wasn't calling the spiritual NFL elite when he called me. Now, I'm not saying we don't dream big dreams for God. I'm not saying that we don't work hard. I'm not saying that evangelism, of course those things are good. Um, What I am saying, though, is we have to be honest about the fact that Jesus did not call us to be on his team because he knew that we were really awesome at being his disciples. You know, I, I wonder how this hits you, but you're never able to perfectly fulfill your duties to the Lord. I'm not saying you don't seek to serve Him with all of our heart. But you will never fully, perfectly fulfill your duties to the Lord. It's like the rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus and he says, all these things I've kept from my youth. And I think he meant it. I think he really did. Jesus says one thing is missing. It's a big thing, isn't it? If we're really honest about our own hearts, I've always been disturbed by that passage, but I think it's meant to disturb because it shows there's a gaping hole even in our own love, in our own hearts. Jesus says, though, that it is those who feel their failure, who feel their failure that are prepared to see me, who are prepared to come to me. Do you feel your failure? Maybe in your marriage, maybe emotionally, maybe financially, maybe spiritually. And not just to see Jesus, but Jesus says in here to see the Father, to reveal the Father. It is those who feel their failure and their burden and sin and are sorry for it. And come asking for help that find in Jesus' Father open arms. 
the revelation. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. You know, for many people, the idea of meeting God is one of the most terrifying experiences in the world. I think even for my college students, right, the idea of meeting God is scary. I think for me it's scary. How do you view God? Is He disappointed in you? Is He ready to let you have it? Sinclair Ferguson said it's fundamental to know because who you are and the way you live reflects who you think God is and what kind of character you believe He has. What kind of character does He have? Jesus says, no one has the authority to reveal what he is like except for me. And anyone to whom I choose to reveal it. You know, throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus tells parables. And I think he's at pains to show us and to reveal to us what the Father is really like. It's like he's holding up a mirror and saying, what do you see? Not only what do you see about yourself, but what do you see about my Father? A Father who scans the horizon for his lost son. A father who's like a generous landowner that gives without partiality. A father who hears the cries of widows and those who cry out for justice. Do you see that father? And I think Jesus belabors this point in his ministry. He tells his his disciples, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? You who are evil know how to give good gifts. How much more than will your heavenly father give to those who ask? Why does he have to belabor this point? Why in the Sermon on the Mount is one of the longest sections, the longest diatribe about trusting that God will meet your needs, that he's a father who takes care of you and provides abundantly? Because we do not believe this. And Jesus knows we do not believe this. Because we cannot see. Why can we not see? Because you remember the serpent in Genesis 3 who comes up to the woman and says, did he really say you could eat none of the trees in this garden? What is he saying? This father, this God that you commune with, how do you know he's good? Are you sure he is? You sure he's not keeping something from you? Look at what you do not have. Look at the circumstances in your life. That's what the serpent does to you now. He says, you see that? You see what's going on in your life? You see the fact that your family's sick? You see the fact that you have bills that you can't pay? You see the fact that you're fighting again? He doesn't love you. How could he love you? You did it again? You have maxed out that grace. You know that, right? He's, 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 he's angry. This father if you're, that you say you serve. But I think Jesus is at pains to show us what God is really like. I heard this story about a kid named Will who was kind of moved around from foster home to foster home. And eventually he was adopted by this Christian couple. And they loved him. They loved Will. But Will had a hard time adjusting and uh, one day he stole $20 from his mom's purse. Um, and they called him. They caught him in the lie. And they gently, you know, rebuked him for that, sent him to his room. Like what any normal parent would do. And they hear him upstairs just tearing the room apart. Just throwing things everywhere, right? Just like beating his hands on the ground. They're going, what's going on? And the dad goes up there. And he's under the bed sobbing. And he's like, what is wrong, Will? He's like, don't send me back. Don't send me back. Don't send me back. And the dad realized in that moment that Will has no idea what a family is like. He has no idea what a real father is like. So he just gets under the bed and he holds him for probably like 30 minutes. Just cries with him. 
because I'm going to show him what a real dad is like. And I think Jesus comes to us and says, you have no idea what a real heavenly father is like. You're so scared. You're so anxious. But I want to show you what he's really like. Come to me, and I'll introduce you to the Father. You will know him, and you will trust him and love him, and you will know in the very depths of your being that the Father loves you. And not only that, I will open the door, and I will reveal to you what I am like. Isn't that why we're weary? You know one of the reasons why I'm, I was so exhausted last year? It's because I didn't believe this. I didn't believe this. I struggle to believe this. I think we try our whole lives to be loved. Of course we do. We try our whole lives to be loved, but we are weary. And Jesus is opening the door and he's saying, let me bring you to the Father. Let me show you what he is like. And not only will I show you his character, I'll show you my character too. Learn from me, for I am humble and gentle and lowly of heart. If I could paraphrase, I am meek and winsome and low-key. And I'm going to tell you that the person who is deeply, deeply burdened by the guilt and the, of their sin and the pride of life, the news that Jesus is meek and winsome and low-key is the best news in all the world. That Jesus is not a police officer who's waiting, you know, or like a, a strict, your strict middle school teacher who like criticized you or whatever. That's not what he's like. Why is it that the Samaritan woman, that a guilt-ridden prostitute, a fearful Peter, how is it that they can continue to approach Jesus? Because there's something about his character. There's something about him. That Jesus is saying, you know what? You can tell me absolutely anything. You can tell me absolutely anything. He is the very gentleness of God. And he invites you to see him and to see the Father. And this really is the last thing, the invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here's the thing. You hear this. You have heard this. But there are bills to pay. I'm pretty sure school has started back for many people in L.A. You're fighting with your spouse. right? There's just unending things. And sometimes coming to church on a Sunday can feel a lot like going through a wardrobe into Narnia. right? You come in through the church doors on Sunday. You worship the Lord. You hear the word. You take communion. You're like, this is awesome. This is great. It's like, you know, Peter Pan and Neverland. And then we, then we go out the church doors, and we go into Long Beach and L.A. into all of our anxiety, and it feels like coming out of the wardrobe into real life. Right? How is it that these things are real? Streams of living water? Hmm, Monday through Saturday is more like a trickle. Right? Like, that's what it feels like. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't know if you guys watch this show, The Office. Have you heard of this? Um, I'm glad you laughed. I did that one time. People were like, no, I have not heard of it. Um, I was like, well, this illustration is not going to work. But, um, but uh, one of my, it's one of my all-time favorite shows. And there's this particular episode called Scott's Tots, okay, where Michael Scott promises a classroom of third graders that if they graduate, he will pay for their entire college education. 
Um, and he, he has no money. He can't do this. It's a total empty promise. And I love what he says. He says, I've made some empty promises in my life, but hands down, this was the most generous. Um, and uh, he eventually is invited, like, 10 years later or whatever, he's invited to speak to these now seniors who are about to go off to college. They're singing his praises, calling him their guardian angel, and he has to tell them, okay, I actually can't do this. Like, it was a false promise. Uh, and he basically is like, well, I can't give you guys college tuition, but everyone who goes to college needs a laptop. And people are like, oh, he's going to give us laptops. He's like, and for laptops, you need batteries. <laughs> so everyone gets a battery. You get a battery, you get a, everyone gets batteries. And sometimes I really do feel like that can be the Christian life, or that can feel like the Christian life. Whereas you hear all these amazing promises, you've been justified, you're being sanctified, you're now adopted, you have the hope of the glory of God, and then you look at Monday and you're like, okay, why does it feel like I'm getting batteries? That's what it feels like. You see, it's one thing to promise rest, Jesus, but another thing to give it. Okay, so how does Jesus do this? I think it's fascinating, what do we mean by rest? Um... It's funny, Jesus doesn't say, come to me all who are weary and having a hard time of it, and I'll give you a bed. Or, come to me all who are weary, and I'll give you an afternoon off. Which would be nice, we need that, trust me, we need that. Um, come to me all who are weary, and I'll give you my yoke. Think about this for a second. That's work equipment, right? That doesn't, nah, not what? Even if it's light, it's still work. That doesn't make any sense. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I'm not offering you just an afternoon off. I'm offering you a whole new way to carry life, which will bring rest to your soul. A new way to walk. A new way to walk. I heard one pastor say, we have to slow way down to catch up to Jesus. It's not really our culture, though, is it? American evangelicalism. And I'm not criticizing. I love, these, I love some of these books, but... Look at the titles of recent best-selling Christian books. Radical, Crazy Love, Relentless, Everybody, Always, right? Or uh, maybe our conference, Passion, which is ironically held at Atlanta's Infinite Energy Center, right? Um, and I'm not saying this wrong. I'm not, that's not, you know, no critique there. But at the same time, I think our culture, the American culture, is obsessed with big and great and loud and fast and now. And Jesus seems to say, do you want a different way? Do you want a light yoke? Do you want a light burden? Part of me is just like, Jesus, what do you mean your way is light? Is the Sermon on the Mount light? Right? Is self-denial easy? What are you talking about? And I think in some ways Jesus is saying to follow me and to seek to follow me and to obey me and to fail and find my forgiving and patient help I think eventually you'll see that it is actually a light yoke. That I am slow to anger and swift to bless. That I will shoulder the heavy burden. That I know your frame and I remember that, we are, that you're dust. That Jesus actually allows us to come face to face with our limits. We're not the Messiah. One of my mentors, Dr. Kelly Capick, said, we need to stop asking for Jesus' forgiveness that we can't do everything. And we need to start asking his forgiveness that we ever even imagined we could. That Jesus actually calls us to be with him and to commune with him. And he calls us to be winsome and low-key and patient with our kids and our family and our church. And Jesus says, just approach me. 
If you really want this, just approach me. All that's required is that you feel weary. Jesus will help independent of how well we approach him. What is needed is just to approach him. I want to close with that image that I love from the Gospel of Mark and several others where the woman takes just the hem of his robe. She touches just the hem of his robe. You know what that's saying? That when life's pressures are mounting and you feel fearful, there is always room for you to come up behind Jesus and touch just the hem of his robe. Maybe you're too afraid to face him. I can't go before him after all I've failed. But you can come up behind him. You're welcome to do so. And touch just the hem of his robe. And you know what? He'll turn to you. And he will look at you. He will be so kind kind and so gracious. And he will give you rest. He'll invite you to follow him. And walk in his paths. Because all of his paths are steadfast love and faithfulness. He truly is the greatest person you will ever meet. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you will show us Jesus. Lord, sometimes, many times, every time feeling our failure is painful and hard. and We have to be confronted by you in our own sin. But Lord, the one who confronts, the one who wounds is also the one who heals. You are a king who comes with healing in his hands. And so Lord, I pray that you, the great physician of our soul, will heal us, wound us that you may heal us, and bind us up. Father, I pray that you will show us Jesus to help to carry and follow behind him as we take up our cross, and may we find his way, the light yoke, and the easy burden, and refresh our souls in his name. In Jesus' name I pray.